Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, Believers Church, how we doing this morning? We doing okay? So good to see you guys. Man, wasn't worship awesome? I'm just thankful for our worship team and everybody that serves here. And hey, before we jump in, um, first of all, if you are new here, my name is Joe. And along with my beautiful wife, Erin, who's away this weekend, we get to serve as the pastors around here. You picked a great weekend to come and hang out with us. And I would love to meet you after the service if I didn't get a chance to. And so we're going to jump in. And today, I was thinking about this. Can you believe it? We have been in this series called Colors for two months now. Pretty cool. And um, I was just thinking, man, I don't know if I've had this much fun in a series of messages in a really long time, but I've really enjoyed it. And today I get to finish out this series and uh, I'll tell you what color we're gonna do in just a second. You can probably guess by uh, what's behind me, but, but I wanna start with the story. You know, I'm gonna take you back to uh, little Joey Caminetti's fifth grade year in school. I was going to school at Word of Life Christian Academy, Wulka for short. This was our private Christian school that we had at BC Warren for 25 years. And I was in fifth grade and we're going through the D.A.R.E. program. Do you remember this, D.A.R.E. to resist drugs? And so, you know, you have the police officer come in and he shows you all of this drug paraphernalia. I'm a sheltered pastor's kid. I have no clue what he's talking about, but I remember just really being on the lookout after that. You know what I mean? I'm watching you looking at my dad a little extra funny, you know? And, um, and so I remember they had this competition and in this competition, we had to come up with a marketing campaign for dare that was to tell people that drugs were bad. Right. And so, you know, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, but they said, whatever you can come up with. And then we want you use your artistic abilities to come up with a poster. Now, if you know my mom, my mom is a phenomenal artist. Like she could have been a professional artist. I really am convinced of that. And I inherited about 10% of her skill, which makes me okay. But at the time I was just so into art and I just thought, man, I'm a pretty good artist. This is gonna be perfect for me. I think I'm gonna take first place. And so I thought long and hard. I prayed and fasted. I didn't fast, but I, I prayed and I asked God for the perfect idea. And, uh, I remember, I remember just kind of sitting in my room and all of a sudden it was like lightning struck. It was like the light bulb went off. I was like, I got it. And in fifth grade, Joe thought this was the most brilliant thing ever. I, I decided I'm gonna draw a picture of this thug kid that's smoking a joint and it's gonna say, you think you're cool? You're really just a fool. Fifth grade, Joe thought that was amazing. Like now I'm like, I don't know. But, but then I was like, man, this is it. And then, you know, I, I did my very best to, to illustrate this on the poster. And I remember bringing it in and I was just so proud of this poster. I, there was not a question in my mind. I was going to win first place. And um, so I'll never forget. I turned in the poster and they kind of hung them up in our room and we walked by them all week and anticipation was building. And finally, the moment came when they started to announce and they did it backwards. You know, they started at third place and went to first place and third place was announced. And of course it wasn't my name because I was destined for first. And, but then on that fateful day, second place was announced and I heard Joey Caminetti and everyone else applauded, but I was not very happy because in my mind, second place is just the first loser. Can I get an amen? Like that was just how I felt in that moment. And so this girl that I am friends with on Facebook to this day, nothing wrong with this girl, perfectly great girl. Her name is Mar Marissa Royster. She won first place. Can you tell I'm, I'm a little bit scarred? I still remember. 
As a matter of fact, I'm gonna message her later today and say I have a bone to pick with you. No, but I just remember in that moment, it's the first moment I can remember experiencing envy. Like in that moment, this deadly cocktail of anger and pride and envy and covetousness just started to wash over me. I wonder if you can remember a moment in your life where you experienced the same thing. Have you ever envied somebody? It's not really something we talk about a whole lot in culture. As a matter of fact, I was trying to think, have I ever preached on this? And I don't think I have, but our culture would say, he is green with envy. She is green with envy. I was thinking about like in in my life, it's almost like Bruce Banner's transformation into the Hulk, right? But there's nothing incredible about it. It's like there's this green monster inside of me and, and I start to look longingly at what other people have. And I think to myself, I should have what they have. Can, can anybody relate to this? This is one of the seven deadly sins. And I love what Joseph Epstein says. He says, of the seven deadly, deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Isn't that true? Like at least some of the other sins that we struggle with, there's a moment of pleasure. There's a moment of happiness and joy. Of course, it's followed by a whole lot of horrible that comes after it. But of the seven deadly sins, Envy is no fun at all. Aristotle talked about envy. He defined envy as pain at the sight of another's good fortune, stirred by those who have what we ought to have. Bertrand Russell said that envy was one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. This is interesting. Did you know that envy, it's not something that just has a neutral effect on us. Actually, envy can affect your physiological your mental, your physical health even. There's an interesting research report that was done. This is in a medical journal. If you ever wanna look it up, it's really interesting. It's when your gain is my pain and your pain is my gain. That's the title. And neuroscientists found that envy stimulates the brain's anterior cingulate cortex, which is associated with both physical and mental pain. So when you're experiencing envy, it's actually physically and mentally having an effect on you and taking a toll on your whole being. And this is associated with both physical and mental pain. And scholars writing in the 2018 Journal of Social Science and Medicine, get this, they studied 18,000 random people. They're from all different walks of life. And they selected individuals and found that their experience of envy was a powerful predictor of worse mental health and lower well-being in the future. In other words, envy stunts psychological health and well-being. So let's just go there for a few minutes today. I wanna talk about this green monster inside of all of us that maybe we don't even recognize at times, but it is for sure there. And really, if if you could sum up this battle, this struggle on the inside of us, it's a battle between two forces. Really, it's a battle between coveting and contentment. It's a battle between coveting and contentment. Let's talk about coveting first. Coveting is defined as a strong desire to have someone or something, especially when it belongs to somebody else. And coveting is such an old sounding word, right? But it is something all of us are battling with. There was a Roman Catholic priest that was towards the end of his career and he was being interviewed. And of course, in the Roman Catholic church, they have confessional, right? And so you would come to the church and my, I didn't grow up Catholic, but my dad did. And, and uh, he, you know, he had kind of like his go-to sins that he would confess that weren't that big of a deal. You know, like I, I lied to my mom or I, I hit my brother or whatever it might be. 
But this is interesting. This Catholic priest, remember, has, has heard over 2,000 confessions in his career to this point. He said, I have heard people confess to, idolatry, or to adultery. I've heard them confess. He said, I've even heard someone confess to murder. But he said, never in all of my career, in all 2,000 confessions, has anyone ever confessed to coveting. That's interesting. And maybe it's because most people don't even know what coveting is. It's not a thing we talk about a whole lot. And it can be easily disguised and easily masked as aspiration, right? It's the American dream. It's the American pursuit. I want to do better for my life. I want to have a better life than my parents had. I want to give my kids a better life than I have. It's kind of like one of the acceptable sins of suburbia. So easy to mask it. So easy to have that force working in our life. And I want to just read to you Exodus chapter 20 because thou shalt not covet is, is one of the Ten Commandments, right? This is what God says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's spouse or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that aged pretty well in several thousand years, but I thought we could do one better. I went to chat GPT this last week. It's an AI engine. And I asked them, hey, can, can you just, can you translate this commandment into into something that Gen Z could understand, all right? So I did not come up with this. This is ChatGPT, a computer program, AI, artificial intelligence. And this is what ChatGPT said about coveting. Yo, fam, here's a sick translation of that verse in Gen Z lingo. You can't make this up. Okay, so like, don't be all jealous and wanting what your neighbors got, you know? Don't be thirsting after their crib or their bay, or their squad, or their ride, or their dope pets, or anything that's theirs, yo. Couldn't have said it better myself, huh? Can we give it up for ChatGPT? I'm gonna, one of these days, I'm just gonna preach a ChatGPT sermon. Pray for us, my goodness. No, but listen, listen to what Ephesians 5.3 says. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a church, real people in Ephesus, and he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper among the saints. That's interesting. So what Paul is saying is, hey, this way of thinking is beneath you. You're better than this. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to look at life. So why is coveting such a big deal? Let's talk about that for a second. I wanna give you two reasons. One, the first reason that coveting is such a big deal is because it's idolatry. This is interesting, Ephesians 5, 5. So we're just continuing in the same passage. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, hmm, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, wait a second, those are strong words. So Paul, you're telling me that when I want something that I don't have, when I want someone that I don't have, that it's actually idolatry, it's the same thing as idol worship. That's interesting. And I believe it's because I'm elevating my desire for people and things above my desire for God. It's idolatry. Now, here's the end result of idolatry and living in covetousness and living in envy. The second thing, coveting brings chaos. The ultimate end game of covenant is that it destroys my life. This is what James says in James chapter three, verse 16. 
This is interesting. For where there is envy and contention, there is also chaos and, listen to this, and every evil thing. That's quite a list, right? Every evil thing. And so the evil that we see in the world, the evil that we see in our culture, the evil that we see in ourselves, what Paul is saying is you don't have to look any further than the root of envy. That's interesting to me. Here's another translation. For, every, for where envying and contention is, this is, this is really interesting. There is inconsistency in every evil work. Ooh, as I was reading that, I just heard the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Joe, like all those areas in your life where you're inconsistent, where you come week after week to me and you say, God, I don't wanna do that anymore. God, I don't wanna go there anymore. It's like the struggle in Paul's heart. Why do I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things that I wanna do? God's saying, hey, there's a root cause here called envy. And so if you're experiencing inconsistency in your spiritual walk with God, this could be a really helpful message for you today. I know it was for me. And so this is what James is really saying here. When I'm focused on what others have and what I don't, there's only one result, and it's every evil thing. The end game to envy is every evil thing. It's chaos, it's destruction. And if that stat is true, I want you to just think about what you're up against, all right? If coveting is so destructive and so much of a distraction in my life, here's the problem, here's the challenge. Every day, when you roll out of bed, and even before you roll out of bed, when you pull out your phone and you rub the sleep out of your eyes and you start thumbing through your feed and you start looking on Google or whatever you're doing that day, on the average day, the average American has anywhere between 4,000 and 10,000 ads that are targeted just for them. Can you believe that? That's, that's at least a minimum of 4,000 times a day that you are confronted with what you do not have. And the culture around you is trying to tell you, you need that to be happy. You need that to be fulfilled. You need that to be satisfied. And it doesn't help anything that now I'm pretty sure our phones spy on us. You know what I'm saying? Like, all we have to do is just like say it into the air, speak it into the atmosphere. And all of a sudden you're scrolling through Instagram and an ad pops up for that exact thing. Like, it's not even fair. It's rigged against you and it's hurting you. Young people, there has never been a generation that's gonna have to fight this more than you. When I think about what, what my kids are up against and, and how much time the, these younger people, they're on YouTube and, and what, fill in the blank, TikTok, whatever it is, and, and it's, it's coming for you. There's probably, to use a young phrase, uh, one of the most cringe things I've ever seen on social media it's called Rich Check. Have you ever seen this? This is just rich kids on TikTok and YouTube, and they're just flaunting their wealth. And so they'll say, Rich Check, you know? And then they'll show you what daddy bought them, the new ride that they have, the new room that they have, the beautiful mansion, the pool that they have. It's like our whole culture, all that we're doing is pointing towards, is pointing towards what we have or what we don't have. The focus is in the wrong place. This is what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Coveting's coming for you. And the fact that he would say, hey, be on your guard, that means we gotta put up a defense because coveting is not a neutral factor in our life. Envy is not something that just plays in the background. It is coming after us. We have to build up a defense for it, right? And uh, I've noticed something. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but it's true in mine. It is really hard to covet if I don't compare. 
it's really hard to envy if I don't compare my life to other people. Let me break this down because my car was perfectly fine until I looked across the street in my neighbor's driveway and they pulled into the driveway with that brand new SUV with the color that isn't even out yet. How did they get that? And they have the leather seats and they have the brand new package. They have the sunroof. They have the rims. They have everything. My car was perfectly fine. It got me from point A to B. As a matter of fact, I thanked God at one point for my car. But here I am looking across the street and I'm coveting, I'm comparing. Your phone was just fine last year. Your phone was just fine yesterday until the new Apple release and your friend came in and they got the iPhone 75 Pro Max and now your phone is garbage, right? Who would use that phone? And they have the new color. Everybody's gonna know I'm a fraud if I don't have the new rose gold Max. What? I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean. <laughs> My kid's like, that's not a color, dad. That's... Oh, how about this one? Your house was beautiful. You loved your house until your neighbors built that custom house with the custom kitchen and the Viking stove and, and then your house isn't looking so great anymore. Your fridge kept things cold just fine until you went over your friend's house and now their, their fridge has an HD flat screen on it with an internet connection. Their fridge orders groceries from the grocery store and there's a tunnel that goes straight from the store into their fridge. And now your fridge isn't so great anymore. It's really hard. It's really hard to covet when we don't compare. And here's the reality. I want you to hear this. Comparison, at the end of the day, here's the problem with it. Comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills, destroys the contentment that God wants me to have in my life. And comparison typically lands you in one of two ditches. Either it lands you in a place of insecurity or it lands you in a place of pride. Both are ditches that we do not want to fall into. Let's, let's talk about insecurity for a moment. And by the way, either of these ditches, either of these places, when we compare, they cause us to count things that we shouldn't count. They cause us to count in an unhealthy way. I'll show you what I mean. Let's talk about King Saul. King Saul, by the way, when he started out as the king, the Bible says that he had it going on. He was a full head taller than all the people in Israel. He was a leader. He was handsome. He's king. He's doing okay. But then along comes this little punk named David. And David starts to gain some traction and some popularity within Israel. And that's where we're gonna pick up. This is 1 Samuel 18, 6. I want you to look at what he's counting as insecurity begins to creep in. So as the troops were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out of all of the cities, the women, I should say, all of the cities of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and other instruments. And look at this. And as the women danced, they sang out, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, envy. You can watch it start to set in. Comparison. Insecurity. Watch what Saul says. Saul was furious, and he resented the song. They have ascribed tens of thousands of, of people to David, but only thousands to me. And really, if you read through the story of Saul's life, this is the beginning of the end for Saul. It starts to destroy him, that green monster 
of envy starts to rear its ugly head, that insecurity, counting the wrong things. And listen, I know it might not be so relatable to think about you know, your kill count, but, but maybe we count in a different way, huh? Like maybe even this week, you just found yourself counting. She got 60 likes on her posts and I got six. What does that say about me? When I walked into church today, they got three compliments on their outfit. I got none. I got a sideways comment about my outfit, but I didn't get a compliment, that's for sure. And we start to compare and it creates this insecurity. This green monster starts to come out. Saul says this. He says, what more can he have but the kingdom? And from that day forward, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Actually, you know what's interesting? The very next day, the Bible says an evil spirit began to torment King Saul. Don't tell me those two things aren't connected. And I can tell you, when I talk to people that are insecure, it is tormenting them. Everywhere they go, it doesn't matter how many people say nice things about them, it doesn't matter how many people they have in their corner, the lie, the narrative of the enemy is that you don't have people that are for you, God's against you. And it's interesting, uh, when, when you read this story, how present the enemy is and how his thoughts begin to infiltrate our, our heart. And get this, David was for King Saul. David loved King Saul. He showed up when that evil spirit was tormenting, tormenting him and began to play the harp. But King Saul ends up trying to throw a spear at him. That's a bad day as a worship leader. You know, like we've had some bad days here and there, but like, I don't know if you've ever had anybody try to kill you after the worship time, but that's where they were. Here's the second one. It can either land you in a ditch of insecurity, but it can also, when we compare, it can land us in a ditch of pride, right? So here's David. We just saw a chapter where David's doing okay, but David, he had his struggles as well. This is 1 Chronicles 21.1. Look at the language here. It says, now Satan entered the scene. Mm. Satan entered the scene and he seduced David into taking a census of Israel. Watch for counting here. David gave orders to Joab and the army officers under him. He said, canvas all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and get a count of the population. I wanna know the number. Now, Joab was a righteous person and he's the head commander and he tries to talk David out of it. He says, king, king, live forever. I know what you're trying to do here, but this is a sin against God. It would be a great sin. And David says, no, I want you to do it. And here's why it would be a sin. Because in Israel, it was a sin to count anything that did not belong to you. And as a king, what God was trying to communicate to the rulers of that day is that I own all of this. Doesn't matter how great of a leader you are or how much you've done to develop this or how many battles you've won, none of it belongs to you. And if we're not careful, and we begin to compare, we can start to have the opposite thing happen. We can start to count the things in our life and think that we had something to do with it that this belongs to me. And there can be this spiritual entitlement that can happen. We might even, we might even cloak it in humility. I bet when David got that number, because here's what he really wanted to do. He wanted to see how are my armies stacking up to the armies around me? How many people follow me? Because that, that validates my leadership. That tells you how great of a person I am. And I bet if David was on Instagram that day, I bet when David got the number, he would have probably done one of those posts where he said, hashtag humbled and blessed to be able to lead such an amazing army. Hashtag honored and blessed that God would give me the privilege of leading the kingdom of Israel, right? 
We find our ways to frame it so that it doesn't feel like pride. And can I tell you, as a pastor, I have to work on this all the time. And you know what, when you see it, and I've for sure done it before, pastors are amazing at taking a room like this and you can get it from a certain angle and it's not 50 people in the room, it's 5,000 people in the room, you know? Just hashtag blessed that God would choose me to lead, lead these people, you know? And so we have to be careful. It can happen for any of us. It can happen for any of us. But no matter which side you fall on, here's what we need to know. The Bible says it this way. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I don't have time to talk about it today, but if you want to read how the story ends, it's a whole thing. It's not a pretty ending. Actually, God gives David the choice between three different punishments, and none of them were good. So it never ends well with us. Comparison kills contentment, but it also takes us out in the end. And I don't know about you, but I have enough problems in my life. I don't need the God of all the universe resisting me. <laughs> like, if, if he resists the proud... I'm out. I, like, God, I don't need you to humble me. I will humble myself in the sight of the Lord. And here's the promise. Then he'll lift you up. Then he'll do what he does in your life. So I just want to point this out. Comparison kills contentment and it leads to either insecurity or pride. So we have to be careful what we count. And can I just point something out? You can't spell insecurity or pride without I. All of them lead to an un healthy focus on I, on me, because I'm elevating my wants and my needs over the wants and needs of God's kingdom and the wants and needs of other people. I just pray we would be a church that just says, God, I want to beat this. I don't want to live a life of envy. May it never be said of me that I'm green with envy. And I, I really believe that I have a church full of people that want that, that we're a church full of people that want to honor God in that way. And I just want to give you three kind of easy handles that'll help you to live a life of freedom in this area. And if I could, I'm just going to encourage you, take notes, write, write down what stands out to you. It might not be every point that, that comes at you, but it might be one of them where you're just chewing on that all week. And God's, he's kind of illuminating it as you walk through your, your day. Here's the first one. This is helpful. The first thing we need to do if we're gonna beat this green monster of envy is we need to forget the Joneses. I want you to think about how much of our life and how much of this culture is driven by keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Kardashians in 2023, right? It's all about image. It's all about optics. It's all about the kind of the image that I project to the rest of the world so that they can know that I'm successful so I can feel validated. And if we're not careful, it can become the driving force in our life. It can become the reason that we go to work and the reason we get a paycheck and the reason that we move and the reason that we connect with these people and don't connect with those people. And Jesus had something to say about this to his followers all, all of these thousands of years ago. It was the same kind of problem, same kind of challenge. And he says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Listen to this. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He says, in another translation, they eagerly seek them or they strive after them. It's the reason for their existence. But he says, as a Christ follower, you're different. We run after something different altogether. He says, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. And so what he's saying is, hey, unbelievers, they chase after the provision, 
but believers chase after the provider. Believers say, hey, my one aim and my one pursuit in life is not how many zeros I can have after my name. It's not how much I can have in my bank account or my Roth IRA. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but it's not our aim. It's not the driving force in our life. We pursue the provider, Jehovah, right? In other words, maybe the answer is to focus a little bit less on the Joneses and a little bit more on Jesus. Can you imagine what God could begin to do and the contentment that would begin to come in our life if we forget the Joneses? And uh, I'm just gonna throw this in there for free because it's something at times I have to check in my motives and in my heart. Not only do we wanna forget the Joneses and make sure we don't compare ourselves to them for the sake of insecurity, but I think we also need to be careful that we don't become the Joneses. Because I can't tell you how many times I've just been about to post something been about to say something. And if I really look at the heart condition, the place that I'm in in my heart in that moment, God starts to just gently correct me and say, hey, why are you gonna post that? Are you finding your affirmation and your validation from this? And so listen, people, the reason we're on Facebook and Instagram and you name it is because we wanna keep up with our friends and we want, we, we want, it's okay to keep up with them. Just don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Do you know what I'm saying? We gotta stay connected with people. But if we start to see that this is creating discontentment in my heart, you know, I've, at times in my life, I've taken an entire year off of social media because I don't like what it creates in me. And the fear starts to creep in. Well, how will people know about what you're doing? And how will it look like you're doing anything? And, and you, how will you feel significant? All the little, the enemy rises up and starts to whisper those lies. And here's the reality. It just weans us off of this false idea that we need anything other than Jesus. And so for some of us, the best thing we could do is unsubscribe, unfollow, shut our account down, whatever, just for a season. I'm not saying that you can never do it. Some of you can handle it. And it's not even a challenge. But we don't want to be envied. When I post my meal, if I'm proud of my wife because she made me a good meal, awesome. If I want to share a recipe, great. But if I want to create envy in someone else, if I post where I'm at in the beautiful tropical place because I want someone to know I'm more important than them, how about this one? Let's just get real. Like, if I post pictures of my body, what's the reason? Am I trying to inspire people? You know, this is how God helped me get in better shape. Okay. But like, or, or do I want them to envy my curves? Do I want them to envy what I have that they don't? Do I want them to think of me as more important than them? The Bible applies to every part of our life, right? Might as well go there. All right, that's number one. Number one is forget the Joneses. Here's number two. This is so important. Celebrate when others succeed. Celebrate when others succeed. If you wanna live a life free from envy, free from comparison and, and covetousness, celebrate when others succeed. Because I think it's not enough as we grow in God to simply not envy anymore. No, ultimately, I think the way that we break free from some of these things that so ensnare us and hold us back and weigh us down is we attack them head on. And so if I'm dealing with comparison, the best thing I can do is celebrate when someone else is doing all right, right? You know, Romans 12 is often quoted at funerals and we'll say these words and they're so beautiful. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. But it also says to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Here's the ultimate place we need to get, that we come to the place as a church and as people of God where we just realize that, hey, when my brother or my sister in Christ wins, I win. When they win, we all win because we're all one in the spirit, right? And so this is how we battle this. How about this? I, I wanna tell you a quick story. You know, I just got the honor of going to preach at one of three camps I'm gonna be at this year. Seems like God just opens up these doors, probably because he changed my life so much through summer camp. And it's amazing to get to just go and feed other people and encourage them. And so the family that we got to go serve, they're the Joneses, uh, literally. Their name is Jeff and Beth Jones. And they started this, it's kind of funny. They started this amazing church 30 years ago. My parents knew them, went to the same Bible college and kind of helped them because they were 10 years younger than my parents. And so now I'm very close with their kids and, and their kids, their son, Eric, and their daughter-in-law, Alexa, just uh, took over the church and they're leading the church so well. And I got to go be with their other daughter and son-in-law who are the youth pastors. And so it was a really beautiful thing. But I remember the Jones, Jeff and Beth, the parents, if you're following, I remember them telling this incredible story. They, they were young in ministry. They had four young kids. And, you know, before ministry, they were entrepreneurs. One of them was going to become a dentist, and uh, the other was already owned a business. And God calls them into ministry. They leave that life behind. And, you know, they're not, they're not rolling in the dough in their early 20s in ministry at a church they just started. But they're just loving it. And they have these friends that they're really close with, and their friends just built a brand new house. It was a gorgeous, beautiful house. And they're, they're crunched, all, all six of them, into this tiny house with hardly any space. And their friends invite them over for a housewarming party. And they're just being candid. They said, everything in us wanted to come up with a reason not to go to this party. Everything in us almost felt deflated and dejected at the sight of their success and at the blessings God had given them. But we remember in our early 20s, we pulled up to this gorgeous house we're about to walk through the house and we made a decision that day. We said, we are gonna celebrate with them like this is a house God blessed us with because when one wins, we all win. And they said, we're gonna be more excited than they are about this house. And it was genuine. <clears throat> and so they went through this house and it was a massive tour because it's such a big house. It just kept going and going and going. But they said, everywhere we went, we just went nuts. Oh my goodness this floor. Oh my goodness, the countertops. This is gorgeous. Where did you find the paint? Look at all this space, every room, every bathroom, anything you can think of. They just celebrated with them. They celebrated the success of other people. And I can tell you now, 30 years later, I've watched how God's blessed their life. I've watched how God's been so good to them. And he's blessed them financially and he's blessed them with a the house and all of that. But even better, he, he's blessed them with four kids that love Jesus that, that now are giving them grandkids that love Jesus. He's blessed them with fruit in their life that is so much bigger and so much more important than the temporal things that they have in their life. And it's all because they decided to celebrate the success of other people. My dad used to say this all the time when he would see us kids kind of like feeling envious or angry at the sight of others, or maybe just even kind of slighting them with our words. He would say, hey, Blowing other people's candles out doesn't make yours burn any brighter. You ever hear that? But if we're threatened and we're intimidated and if our security comes from the wrong place, we can start to do that. And it's a sign of security when we can celebrate the success of other people. 
You know, I was thinking about Sam Chand, who is a mentor in my life. And real quick, can I borrow you, Jimmy, for just a second? I'm gonna do a quick illustration. Can we give it up for Jimmy as he comes up here? Come on up. I'll never forget this. Sam Chan, he showed me this years ago. He said, you know, when you push other people down, like when you see them succeed and you have to throw in that sideways comment and you have to just bring them down to size, Australia calls it cutting down the tall poppies, you know, like it's like when, whenever they see someone succeed, they push them back down to size. I want you to watch what happens when you start to put, play along with me. If you can. Okay. I know you're really strong. <laughs> when you start to push other people down, oh, they're not as good as they think they are. And who do they think they are? Do you notice what happens when you start to push other people down? You go down too. Stand back up for me. Now, listen, when we, when we adopt the other way of thinking and we start to recognize, wow, God, he put me in their life to encourage them. And every time they succeed, I succeed. Let's come back down here. And I see maybe that they're feeling low. And I just start to say, God, thank you for Jimmy. Thank you for what you're doing in his life. Thank you that I get to be a part of that. Do you see what happens as he goes up? Who else goes up? I do. Can we give it up for Jimmy? Thanks, sir. I never forgot that. I hope you don't either. And King Saul, I want you to think about this. He could have been hitched to David's wagon. He could have been the person that David came to to ask for advice. But because of pride and insecurity, he never got the chance. And so God wants us to see this in the right light. I've learned it in my life as well. You know, a lot of times when you lead churches, and and you know this if you lead in business, It can be so easy to want people to just always want to know what you have to say because you've paid your dues or you've done your time. But I've just come to the conclusion a long time ago that if I'm the smartest person at the table, we're in trouble, you know? Like, I love that Pastor Joe, as he's walking through a really difficult time over the last month, that there really wasn't even a moment where we missed a beat as a church, and it's because he's secure as a leader. If he would have never empowered people, Think about the mess we would be in right now, but the church just gets to keep on ticking because he really believes this. Like if you ever pay a compliment to me in front of him, it doesn't threaten him one bit because he's a part of my success. Nobody's invested in me more than my dad. And so when I win, that's Joe Sr. winning. I I think it could change our mentality and the way that we look at life if we could adopt that. Sometimes we think, oh man, if people at my company start getting ideas around me and my boss thinks that it came from them, I'm out of here. But can I tell you what makes you worth your weight in gold at your company and on your team? It's when you can celebrate the success of others and you can be a team player, you are worth your weight in gold. They will do anything to keep you around. You're invaluable. And so We have to make sure that we stop comparing and keeping up with the Joneses and then we need to celebrate when others succeed. And here's the third one. This is big. We have to cultivate contentment. And I put the word cultivate because contentment doesn't manifest out of thin air. It's not something that just drops in us one day out of nowhere. No, we fight for contentment. We cultivate it. And here's the good news. If coveting in comparison are the sickness contentment is the cure. Contentment is the cure. It's how God helps us to live in freedom. So can I just get really practical with you for just a minute as we get ready to end here? Let's just talk about how we could cultivate contentment. Can I talk to the married couples for just a second? I can't tell you how many married couples that are amazing people and they love Jesus and they love each other. They're ready to throw in the towel because they don't understand this in their marriage. So they came into marriage thinking that my spouse was never gonna let me down. They were gonna fulfill all my wants and my needs whenever I wanted. 
And all the married couples are starting to snicker a little bit. All the single people are like, yeah, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, but if we're not careful, remember that's, that's idolatry because I'm placing my spouse in a position that only God can fulfill. And it only puts me in a position of being disappointed and upset with them. I mean, we, we do this with our expectations of our spouse. You, you know this, right? You see the absolute worst of your spouse every day. And so you, you see the blemishes and you smell the morning breath and you have to raise kids together and you have to work together. And, and listen, if you're in the honeymoon stage, enjoy it, but it's not gonna last forever. And so we have to have a bigger view of marriage than that because it's not just a contract, it's a covenant. And so I watch couples get derailed on this journey and they live in a culture of comparison. Guys, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I see so many guys that are ruining their relationship with their wife because they compare their wife to some ridiculous model on Instagram that's airbrushed, that they will never, first of all, that, that model has never carried your children and gotten stretch marks for you. I love what Jimmy Evans says. He says, this is good. I will not compare my wife's body to anyone who hasn't paid the price to bear my children. Can I get an amen in the house of God? Like, no, when you decide to walk down the aisle, you're saying, my spouse is my standard of beauty. That's beautiful to me. And God starts to rewire the way you look at life. And man, we live in such a pornographic society. That's, uh, can I just give you a, a hint? If you lived with that model and you saw them without makeup and you had to deal with their attitude, you would realize they weren't such a walk in the park either. This is why Hollywood can't keep their marriages together. They're the best looking people with all the money in their relationships last on average, like what, a year? They're in like relationship number 16 and they think that they have it all figured out and they're just in this endless cycle. They've never learned how to cultivate contentment in their life. Here, I'm just, I'm gonna dig a little deeper because I just see the Holy Spirit working here. Listen, I, I, you know what bothers me? It's like a phrase that I hear in our culture. That's my work wife. That's my work husband. And you know what happens? Because you, again, you see them close up and everything looks better from far away. And so you come into work and you get the best hour of somebody's day and they're nice to you and they give you attention. And then the enemy starts to lie to you because you see the worst six hours of the other person's day and, and they're human. But listen, if that person had your wife or your husband's responsibilities and had to go through all of this stuff, it would just be the same problems with a different face and a different name. We gotta like attack this coveting thing. We got to just come at it head on and just begin to cultivate contentment. We're talking about the color green. You know, the phrase that the grass is always greener on the other side. And what God is, is asking you to do, he's saying, Hey, I'm going to stop looking at the grass that's greener on the other side. And I'm going to start watering my own grass. And can I tell you how to make your marriage come alive or your relationships, your friendships come alive? This happens with friends too, right? I oh, mean, I bet other friends don't fight the way we do. And we've been together so long, but I think our relationship is kind of coming to an end. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they hurt me that way. It happens within churches. And here's what God is saying. Hey, you've got to cultivate contentment. And I'm telling you, if you could begin to get in the habit of just thanking God, you know what I say a lot? And I don't have to trick myself into saying it. It's just a confession. And I mean it with all my heart. I say, I love my life and I love my wife. I say it all the time. When I'm praying, I just thank God. And I, and I just highlight all the things that I love about my wife. I highlight all the things that I love about you. And on the hard days and on the days when it's not as rewarding and it doesn't speak to my flesh the way some other days do, those are the days where the love that I have for the things God's blessed me with, actually, they grow more than ever, 
exponentially because I'm cultivating contentment in my life. Maybe we need to build some holy habits. Like here's, here's a good one. When's the last time you looked back at what God has done and thanked him? Do you know that it's, it's impossible in your brain to hold these two thoughts that I'm unthankful and that I'm coveting at the same time? It's impossible to hold comparing and contentment at the same time in your brain. It can't do it. And so replace those thoughts and begin to thank God. Psalm 105.5 says, remember with awe and gratitude the wonderful things which he has done, his amazing deeds. We're gonna end right here. And this is just my challenge to you. I'm gonna invite you, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. And if I could, I'm just gonna plug a message that I think might help you. Um, back on right, the Thanksgiving week, I preached a message about words of thankfulness. And I think that would partner really well with you as you go through this week. And so that might be a message to dust off and put it into practice this week. But this is what 1 Timothy 6, 8 says. Last thing I'm gonna read. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul went through a whole lot. He had times of plenty and he had times where he had nothing, but he learned to be content. He said it that way. He said, I have learned to be content. I have learned to thank God when I have a lot and I've learned to thank God when I have a little. I've learned to thank God for what I've been blessed with. Can you imagine how much better it would be in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriage, on the job, if you just went into the day just thanking God ahead of time for how good he is? And sometimes I just look at my wife and I'm like, how did an ugly dog like me get a beautiful queen like her? And, uh, and I, I think it's because I'm, I'm funny and, and I make her laugh, but, but I... I don't deserve that, but that's the goodness of God, right? How do I have an amazing church family like this? I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's the goodness of God. How do I have the money in my bank account and the car that I drive and the house that I live in? It's the goodness of God. And as I begin to cultivate contentment in my life, that green monster of envy begins to lose power and lose its control and lose its hold. And I begin to have a joy that's not based off of my circumstance and it's not based off of what I have or what I don't have. It's deeper than that. It's joy unspeakable and full of God's glory. Father, we thank you so much that you're teaching us how to cultivate contentment in our life. All of us have different things that we're surrendering in this moment but we give it all to you. And we just pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.